All right, the passage uh, that we are considering this morning comes from the book of Acts. And uh, given that we are continuing um, our series on mission, uh, you really can't preach a mission sermon uh, without at least at some point preaching out of the book of Acts. Acts is a, a book that is reflective of the rapid missionary expansion of the church and the world. So we're going to look at Acts chapter uh, 2. Um, so it comes after the four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John... Acts. So it's the fifth book of the New Testament. I'm going to read verses 42 to the uh, end of the chapter. So just giving you a little bit of a heads up, we're going to conclude our series on mission, particularly focusing on what we call corporate evangelism. We looked at personal evangelism last week. We're going to look at corporate evangelism. And then um, next week, we're going to be focusing on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. More of a, a kind of a, a personal sermon that focuses on the work of the Spirit in confirming to our human spirits that in Christ, we are children of God. Then the following week, um, I will have off after that, and then we're going to pick up, and then we get into our Christmas season. There will be some sermons on the, the Christmas theme. Of course, looking forward to our lessons and carols service on um, uh, Christmas Eve. So, Acts chapter 2, and um, okay, so we have the words here before us. If, if you have your Bible, I want you to take a look at one verse that provides the context for this passage, which speaks about the early church in its earliest of times. This is where the church is just, right, just getting off the ground. It's a very interesting and unique time. So, um, in chapter 2, what we have is we have the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in fulfillment of the promise of Christ to do that. And it's this spirit that not only opens the heart of Peter to preach a very powerful sermon, but it's this very spirit of God that opens the hearts of people to receive the word about Jesus that Peter gives to them. And then we read in verse 41, so those who received his word, that is Peter's word, were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000. Not three, not 30, not even 300, but 3,000. So this, what that tells us is this is a very unusual time right now. Notice that these individuals who come to Christ and are baptized just don't go their merry way and live their individual lives, but they, they come together. They come together and they form what the New Testament word is, ecclesia, that is the church of God. So they come together, notice verse 42, what they do. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we're going to end our reading at that point. And when you, when you read these words, your immediate reaction, I think, is that, man, this was a sweet time in the church, right? As, 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 
as the church is just getting off the ground, right? There's all kinds of things happening. But also, and this is, this is particularly a perspective of those who actually work in the pastoral ministry. You read something like this, and obviously it's just like, it's all good news. But in the back of your mind, especially as pastors or probably as elders or even pastors who have been involved in church planting, you look at this and you kind of go, yeah, there's a lot of things that are interesting that are happening here, but it's, at the same time, it's a church in its infancy, and as a result of that, there's got to be certain vulnerabilities here as well. Because you think about it, these are, these are people who are recent converts, I mean, the Spirit comes down upon them, opens their heart, they see the reality and the truth of Jesus Christ, and then, they, and then they start gathering together. And honestly, when I look at this, I go, yeah, okay, so there's a lot of neat things happening here, but there's so little knowledge. They're recent converts, and there's probably little structure, little organization. It's kind of ripe for chaos, you know? That's the way you kind of think when you're involved in the organization of the church for many years. Nonetheless, nonetheless, what you do see here is that the Lord compensates for that vulnerability by giving people great love and there's great power. Incredible things are happening here. And the, there's just something when you take a look at this, you go, Man, something's happening here. The Lord is at work. And how do we know that the Lord is at work? Because if you follow it, you follow the passage through, and we're going to get into the particulars of the passage in just a moment. But, but what you see as you, as you look at the particular passages, uh, particulars of the passage, as it leads to the very end, what's the last thing we read in this, in this, in this passage I just read? Is that the Lord, as he's working in this infant church, is adding people to this church on a daily basis. So not only do you have the Holy Spirit working in people whereby 3,000 are added in a day, but he's not done yet. The Lord is continuing to add to them. Again, notice the word there at the very end. It's not on a yearly basis or a monthly basis or even a weekly basis, but on a daily basis. There's a lot of churches that would be just thrilled if they add a few members every year. And even if they be transfers, they're already Christians from other churches, okay, that's fine. But you have something different going on here. The power of God is at work and people are being added, not weekly, monthly, yearly, but they're being added on a daily basis and they're new converts. So, something must be happening, which it is, and something must be, something must be said. People are saying stuff. They're talking, no doubt, to others, and they're talking to them about Jesus. And what do we call that? We call it evangelism. Which, if you were here last week, we, we defined evangelism very simply as just one beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. Right? And where's that bread to be found? John 6. To be found in Jesus. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. This is a living and it's evangelistic body. And I want to contend to you that there's not only beautiful things happening here, but corporately, 
as a church as a whole, is committed to the evangelistic tax of getting the message of Jesus out. So what I want to do with you, if uh, I want you to keep your eyes up there, or especially if you have your Bibles, I want you to take a look at your Bibles, and I'm going to draw you to some things here, what I would call uh, the marks of a healthy church, okay? Evangelism being one of them. So let's dive in, take a look here. This is a church where? It's a church in Jerusalem because that's where the Holy Spirit was poured out. And that's where the converts take place. And as I said, they don't go their merry way, but they gather together and they worship together and they do other things together. So if you look at the passage, you see a number of beautiful marks of the church. First of all, there's unity in the church. What do we read here? They had all things in common. Now, you take a look, a lot of times people go, oh, I, we, we, as a church today, we need to recover the early church. And I'm like, uh, yes and no. Because as you move on, and you move on to what we call epistolary literature, and you move on in the history of the church, it doesn't take long for divisions to arise within the body and for false teachers to infiltrate the church, causing not unity, but disunity. But at this point, because it's so new, you have none of that yet, at least apparently according to this passage. Although shortly, in Acts chapter 5, you have this whole issue of Ananias and Sapphira, who are hiding things from the Lord, quenching the Spirit of God, and there's discipline in the church. It doesn't take long, but at this point, they're unified. Secondly, they had charity, that is love. So if you take a look at verse 42, part of the, the, the blessing that they had as a church is that they experienced fellowship together. Now, the word fellowship is not the way we oftentimes use fellowship, where we just kind of hang out together and we see how each other's week has gone and uh, we share life together, right? But that, that word fellowship in the Greek is koinonia, so it's a kind of fellowship that, that had a spiritual tie to it. There, was, there, were, there were intimate relationships that they had because they were brothers and sisters in Christ. So we have love, we have unity, we have generosity. Notice they sold their possessions and they gave their proceeds to anybody who would need. Now this is beyond the, the generosity that's, that, that we indicate in our own worship services where as part of the element of worship, we give of our tithes and our offerings. We take our collection together. This is more than that. People were understanding the material needs of people around them, and they said, you know what, I'm going to sell this, I'm going to sell that. It's like today, if somebody, you, you discover a need in a church, or in this church, and you go, oh, boy, they, they need help, they need help right away. I got that second car, I'm not using it very much, I'm going to sell that car, I'm going to give the proceeds to them. That's the kind of thing that was happening here in this church. There were, they, they had hospitality. Notice we read uh, in verse 46 that they broke bread in their homes. If you look at the passage, this is the second time where there's a reference to the breaking of bread. Right, did you notice that? So in verse 42, it talks about that uh, there was the breaking of the bread. So I want to submit to you that this breaking of bread, I'll be quick with this, but they're, they're two, referring to two different things. So in verse 42, the breaking of the bread, definite article, is likely referring to the celebration of the Lord's Supper together as the body of Christ. But when you take a look at verse 46, it talks about breaking bread in each other's homes. I want to submit to you that it is not referring to the celebration of the Lord's Supper in each other's homes. God has reserved that for corporate worship. But what they're doing is they're breaking bread in the sense that they're sharing home hospitality together. They're talking with each other. They're eating with each other. So there's a, uh, there is a relational health in the body. 
They also had intellectual curiosity and dedication to the apostles' teaching, verse 42. And they devoted themselves, which, which means that they just didn't pay attention to the apostles' teaching now and then when it suited them, but they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So these are people who not only wanted, as many people stress today, we want a church that provides community and fellowship. That's good. But they wanted more than that. They wanted to dive deep. They wanted to understand the basic theology and the doctrine of the apostles so that they would understand the gospel together. There was also power going on. Signs and wonders were being done. In other words, given the fact that this is during the time of the apostolic era, there were powerful things going on, miracles that were going on that were testifying to the reality of the power and the sovereignty of God in the life of his people. A couple other things, they had a humble dependence on God, they were devoted to prayer, and finally it had a spirit of joy. They had glad and they had generous hearts. So here's the thing, there was power there, there was a spirit of generosity and joy and love, people were diving deep into the word of God, beautiful things were happening in the body of Jesus Christ. So when we take a look at a church like this, we say, you know what, this is a church that had all the goods. It's like, a, it's like, a, it's like a, a guy going to the doctor, hasn't been to the doctor for the while, and the doctor checks him out, and he says, man, I mean, are, are you eating the right things? Are you working out? Because you are a specimen of health. Well, that's the kind of thing that's going on in the church here. There's a, it's a specimen of health. And, and I want to suggest to you that oftentimes, and I, I've seen this in the other churches I have served, that when a church first gets off the ground, you have a lot of these qualities, not all of them, but a number of the qualities. Because when the first, a church first gets off the ground, everybody wants to make a go of it. Everybody wants that church to flourish and all putting their hands together and all of this. It's not until what you find later on in the New Testament things start to happen, that around year two or three or four, people are facing various challenges that they have to work through. That's just normative. But not at this point. So we look back at this, even as a church who grows on through the years, and we need to always take a look at a passage like this and say, are these marks continuing at pathway? Are we growing in these very things? Well, everybody's hands are all into the task here in the church of Jerusalem. And as a result, we see that the church is growing uh, both spiritually and numerically. Look at verse 47. It says that they were praising God and they were having favor with all the people. So what's happening is all these things are happening in the church and people on the outside are looking in at this and no doubt hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and they don't look at this and they spit at the church or they kind of go, they're a bunch of weirdos, you know. No, it's, it's the, here's the thing, as I've oftentimes noted in the series, the way that we speak and the way that we live has to be attractive to the world. And apparently, this church was very attractive to the world where it was gaining the favor of the people, so much so that they were turning to Christ, and not just turning to Christ, but entering into the life of the church. And the Bible says that the Lord was adding to their number, the word number here in the original, ecclesia, which refers to the church. They were, the Lord is adding to the church, to the people of God, not just converts, but to the church, those who were being saved. That was, a, that was a beautiful thing. So here what we have is we have 
we have a, a, a church body that was committed to a lot of these healthy marks. And again, one of the healthy marks that, although not explicitly stated, but is no doubt a part of this because they were having favor with all the people and people were being added. Somewhere along the line, this church in Jerusalem was speaking forth the word of Christ because people are never converted to Jesus Christ just by observing what people are doing, as important as that is. They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear about Jesus. And no doubt that was being done because the Lord, as I said, was adding to them. So this is a church that was, was committed to what we define today as, as corporate evangelism. And when you look at corporate evangelism, that is, I mean by that, where a church, a local church, joins hands, the brothers and sisters of that church join hands for the sake of bringing the gospel to others, that there is, a, there is an inner but there's an outer as well. There's an internal and there's an external witness that goes on. So I want to I talk kind of practically about that for, for the next while. First of all, I want to talk about an inner witness, an inner witness that occurs not exclusively, but primarily on Sundays. So let me ask you this, when, when you prepare for worship, let's say on Saturday, and you start thinking about Sunday, when you get up on a Sunday morning, do you think of this place as, as not just a place of worship, but a place of evangelism? I think there's a lot of Christians who don't always always think in those terms. Yet when you state it the way I state it, they would say, well, I, I maybe haven't really, it's not really in my mind, but yeah, I guess it is. Sundays are a day for evangelism. You say, how? Well, you know what? It, it begins actually, and there's so much we could say about this. So I'll touch on some highlights. If you think about it, evangelism begins in the parking lot of this facility. Even be, before meet, people meet here. Have you ever had it where, and you must, right? Because we gather together and we drive into the parking lots around here before coming into the gym. You ever get it where you see a guest get out of his car or her car or a family? And these are not individuals that you sense are probably just people visiting from other churches. Maybe even who you know or you invited. We're not talking Christians. We're talking about people who may well be de-churched, who once attended church but are not anymore, or these are people who probably never had much exposure to the church or Jesus in their life ever. When you see or you sense individuals getting out of their car, do you, do you just kind of notice them and walk in the building, or do you say to yourself, I want to connect with these people. I want to go up to them and, and, uh, and, and give them a welcome and say, hey, I see that you do here. I'm glad that you're here. And um, how did you find out about Pathway? I'm just very curious. I always ask that question. How did you find out? I'm always curious about that. How did you find out? Did, did somebody talk to you, or did you see us online? How did, how did you find us? And, and uh, uh, just, you don't have to enter into a long conversation with them. Just give them a brief welcome and, and say, uh, once they get into the building, you just say, Is there, can I help you to find, your, find a place here? Can I, can I help you? Can I guide you into this building a little bit? Now, obviously, there are signs, but people, you know, are checking out the signs. Okay, I have to go here, here. Show them where the nursery is. Show them where the bathrooms are, whatever, whatever they need. But here's the thing. 
And, and church growth experts will say this, and sometimes you have to take church growth experts with a grain of salt. But sometimes there's some stuff that you can really latch onto. And one, one thought among church growth experts is this, and this should not be a surprise to you, that the first 60 seconds of entering into a facility leaves the most indelible impressions. That's their takeaway oftentimes. They'll remember those first 60 seconds. So when people come through the doors of this building or come through the doors into this gym, think about this. What's the first thing that they see and what's the indelible impression we're going to leave with them? People come into this facility. What do they see? They see you interacting with each other. Maybe see you drinking a cup of coffee. They, they, they see relationships happening here. The question is, will we share the relationships that we have here with people who come into the body here? People who are different, people that we know who are different. I want to encourage you with something. I see that happening already. And a lot of us are doing that. I want to encourage you to do that. There are many times where um, I hear from individuals, and sometimes they are church visitors, sometimes they are classes delegates, sometimes there are other people from our federation. They will say, I visited Pathway and I'm so grateful I mean, I, I, love, I love the energy, and I love how you interact with each other, and I'm sure that there have been some people who have come here and maybe had the opposite effect. Welcome to the church, right? So it's a reminder to us. But one other thing I want to bring to our attention is this. Do you ever think of our worship service as uh, evangelistic? Evangelistic. What I mean by that is this. When people from the outside, let's say they're unchurched or de come into this arena and they begin to uh, experience worship with us. It's always very important, whether it be the elder leading that part of the worship or the pastor, to lead in such a way that even those with very little to no knowledge of Jesus Christ and how church does church or worship, is able to access the worship in such a way that that worship is intelligible, that is understood and accessible, that is within reach of them so that they come away with something. Because you see, there's always going to be things that happen in the worship, whether it be our singing, whether they give the offerings, whether they hear that prayer, or even when they hear the preaching, that they're going to go, eh, I wasn't quite sure what he, was, what he was really talking about there or what they were really singing. I, I didn't I get any of that. That's understandable. But the point of worship is to at least make it as intelligible and as accessible or within reach to those who are outside of Christ as possible without dumbing it down, without making it superficial, right? Um, and that, that takes, that takes I, I suppose, a certain amount of gift, and it takes intentionality. It takes, it takes intentionality. And I know, I, know, I know some people will say, well, you know what, is worship for the covenant people of God or is it for those who are on the outside, who are outside the faith? And we tend to pit those against each other. We don't need to pit them against each other. Why can't it be both? You know what worship is for? Worship is for the glory of God and the magnification of the name of Jesus Christ. Worship is for what the Bible calls the edification of the saints. It's the building up of brothers and sisters in Christ, in their faith, in their commitment to Jesus Christ, ministering to their needs and their hurts, but also building up their faith and encouraging them. But also worship is also designed to be accessible and to understood as much as possible without dumbing it down for the sake of those who are outside the faith. Um, 
I want to suggest that that was being done in Jerusalem. I want to suggest that that was a commitment that was made by other churches as well. I want to give you one example. And A.V., I'm going to ask you to put up a text in just a moment. But I want to set the stage for this. And then I want to move on to something else. Um, the Apostle Paul was deeply involved in a church plan in the church of Corinth, Greece. And this is during the, the if, I don't know if you know about 1 Corinthians, but the book of 1 Corinthians is one of the earliest books in the New Testament. And it was during the early times of the apostolic era where things that were going on in that church that were, that were evidence of the power of the work of God's Spirit there. Such things as... I'll just mention a couple of them, speaking in tongues, which in regard to 1 Corinthians 14, there's a debate over whether they are known tongues or unknown tongues. I won't get into that now. But there was tongue speaking going on. People were speaking forth either languages that they did not know or some form of what many call gibberish today that is not understood unless there is an interpreter present. And the Apostle Paul says at this point in the early church, in this apostolic era, if someone speaks in tongues, there needs to be interpreter because if you don't have that, you're going to have chaos and you're going to have disorder in worship. So if you're going to speak in tongues and you're given that ability, you also need to have an interpreter explain what that person is actually saying. Otherwise, nobody's going to get anything out of it, especially those who are on the outside who come to the church, and if they witness that without any interpreter, they're going to basically say, these people are crazy. What are they doing? So Paul says, this is why in the church of Jesus Christ, not only does there need to be at that time an interpreter to these things, but Paul elevates what he calls prophecy in the worship of the church. That is speaking forth as I'm doing now from an existing revelation. For instance, like the passage from 1 Corinthians 14 that I'm going to cite. Now, if you put that on, 1 Corinthians 14. All right, I want you to take a look at this. If therefore the church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and outsiders and unbelievers are present, will they not say, you're out of your minds? But if everyone prophesies, that speaks forth an intelligible word, a word that's understood, and an outsider, an unbeliever is present, he is account, uh, called to account by all. Now, I want you to take a look closely at that wording there. If everyone prophesies, that speaks forth, in other words, an intelligible, understood word, and notice there's two types of people here that come in to the church, outside the believers who are already present. The first person is called an outsider. And that comes from the Greek word idiotai. Idiotai, from which we get our English word idiot. So if an idiot enters, now, that has a negative connotation in our English language, right? But an idiotize is, is an individual who is just simply without understanding because the person's not been exposed to the gospel of Jesus. So if that kind of outsider comes in and also an unbeliever is present, that is one without faith, he hears an intelligible word in worship and it's accessible to him, then he is account, called to account by all the secrets of his heart are disclosed and he will fall on his face and worship God and declare that God is really among you. So Paul says, when you worship together, do so for the magnification of the name of Christ. Do so for the building up of the believers who are there. But also when you worship, ensure that your worship is intelligible, it is understood and accessible, that is within reach to those who are unbelievers or outsiders so that they may come to these three things on the basis of this passage. 
conviction, conversion, and finally, as a result of that conversion, confession. And what is that confession? That God is in this place. So our desire must be that when we gather together, we strengthen one another, we encourage one another, we grow in the faith through the preaching and through the prayers and the songs that we sing and so forth. But our prayer also has to be that when people from the outside come here and they see how we worship and they hear the preached word and they see the fellowship and the love that we have with each other, hopefully at the end of the day, they are going to say, oh, God is in that place. God is in that place. Listen, um, there's more to the church than just evangelism. Get it. But it's not less than that. And would it be that local churches commit themselves to build up the name of Jesus, to build up each other, and to build up all those whom the Lord comes to them? But one other thing, and I'll be shorter with this, there's, a, there's also an outward dimension to corporate evangelism, and that is, and that comes not only as we see here in Acts chapter 2, and again in Acts chapter 4 and other places of the Bible, but it, it, it comes through something that we looked at last week, and this is why I'll be shorter with this, because it's something that uh, we already looked at last week. Corporate evangelism in what happens outside of this gym occurs through the forming of intentional relationships and home hospitality. So... Um, let me ask you these questions. Who are you intentionally forming a relationship now with who either this person or these persons are either not walking with Jesus at all because they've never really been much exposed to him or maybe once were part of the followers of Jesus or the church but are in the process of leaving or have left. Um, who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? And who are you praying for that God will open up a conversation with? Search your heart in that regard. Think outside the box. And then also, who have you invited into your home in the last year? Who has either come to Pathway or who you know outside of Pathway who is struggling with matters of faith? or people that you've connected with. Think about those two things. I wanna, I wanna, uh, I wanna at this point, I wanna mention a challenge that a lot of churches face, okay? And it's a challenge of every local church. I think it would even include Pathway as well. And, and so I want you to listen to this. It's called the challenge of concentric circles. You know what concentric circle is? You have, a, you have an inner circle, and then a concentric circles, concentric circles are circles that broaden out from that center. And, you know, think of, think of it in terms of, say you're walking along in a, a mountain lake, and you pick up a, a stone, and you put it into the, the lake, and it goes bloop, right? And then what happens is that the circles begin to grow outside of the, that, that initial circle that is formed by the pebble going into the water. 
So when you think of concentric circles, you kind of think of this. This is the smallest circle, and what's contained in the smallest circle? Well, that's the family, your immediate family. Now, you may be single, and if that's the case, then that's, that's your inner circle. If you are married and you have kids, then you have that immediate circle of husband, wife, and kids. And that's the most intimate circle. And then you have a, a, a broader circle that comes outside of that circle, and that's the circle that contains the relationships of those probably who you're related to. And I know there's a number of you, not all of you, but a number of you who have various relationships within just the immediate area here of the Fraser Valley. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. I mean, you've got stability there, you've got intimacy there, you get to come Christmas time, you get to hang out with each other and eat together and so on. That's a blessing. So, so you've got this inner circle, and then you've got this broader circle of, I don't know, aunts, uncles, cousins, and grandpas and grandmas, and brothers and sisters, and so on. All right. Then you have another circle outside of that, and that's the circle of your church family. Now, these are brothers and sisters, too, but they're not blood-related. These are just your brothers and sisters in Christ. So fellow members at Pathway. And then you have another broader circle, and that is uh, maybe you have friends or people that you hang with that are not a part of Pathway or maybe even a part of our federation, but these are, these are people outside our theological tradition who are Christians, and you just get to know them through your workplace or whatever, and you have friendships with them. And then you've got this outer circle here, and these are, these are individuals who really... Uh, you have no connection with unless you intentionally try to build bridges to them and maybe you enter into somewhat of a relationship with them. And these are people who probably would say, maybe I'm navigating the things of the Christian faith or I might be outside the Christian faith altogether. Do we really realize how difficult it is for individuals in this outer circle to get into this circle? Not only is that sometimes difficult, even if you're already a Christian, but you don't come from this area, which, by the way, I'm not alluding to Joy and me. We're not saying that because we feel much love from you and we appreciate that. So, but I'm talking people who, who, who really know nothing about Jesus and people with whom it's kind of hard to interact with because they don't share our same faith. How difficult it is to move from this into this Unless, unless we intentionally make the effort to build bridges with them. And I want to I challenge each of us that when we have intimacy here and stability, to allow people to enter through these various concentric circles into this, where they might know some of the intimacy and stability that we experience as immediate family members. And why do I bring that out? Because you know what? This is, this is exactly what Jesus did. Put one other passage up, and then I want to start drawing to a close. Now, if you were here last week, you're going to say, oh, we, we already looked at this. Fine. For those of you who weren't here, I want to draw your attention to this. Luke 15. Now, the tax gatherers and sinners were all, um, all drawing near to hear Jesus. That's him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, grumbled, and they said, mm, this man receives sinners, and he eats with them. Now, as I said last week, I'm going to repeat this again. If you look at the word receives there in the text, there is a, a word in the a Greek language, a form of the word elabon that is most frequently used, okay, for receiving someone. 
This is a different word. It's the, the word, uh, form of the word prosdeketai. Sounds different. But this is, this is a, a form of the word that means receiving someone in the context of actually relationally investing them, them and spending time. And in this case, it's over a meal. <laughs> so, so Jesus takes these outsiders. These are not people walking in faith. He takes these outsiders and he takes the time to sit down with them. And what he's doing, okay, he's entering into their lives, but he's also allowing them to enter into his life. And if Jesus is doing that, then the obvious implication is that as followers of Jesus who want to be imitators of him, we should be willing to do that as well. Do you, do you, do you know how much it means to people when they can go through those concentric circles that are divided by maybe faith or culture or language? Do you know how much it means to them for you to bring them, to invest in them relationally, but also to bring them into your home and interact with them. It's not only a blessing to them for the sake of the gospel, but actually hospitality and relational investment brings great blessing to you as well, to me as well. We're all in this together. So I, I, I will say this, and um, the extent to which a church flourishes is not only the faithful preaching of God's word, but the extent to which a church flourishes is the church's ability and willingness to go from here, invite people not just to here, but into here. This is where warmth occurs, this is where care occurs, this is where love occurs, and this is how the body of Christ grows. So, corporate evangelism occurs here on a Sunday, occurs in our care groups, hopefully, where you're encouraged to bring other people in to experience the body of Christ, but also occurs out there in what we do on a day-by-day -day and weekly basis, and it occurs here, right here. And this is a beautiful thing. And always remember this, that whatever happens here today on a Sunday or any other Sunday or what happens in our homes or at coffee shops or whatever, always remember this, then you, when you reach out to individuals who are in need of the gospel of Christ, Jesus says, when you do that, always remember this, that to the extent that you do it to the least of these, you do it what? Unto me. Unto me. When we look into each other's faces, help us, help us, O oh Lord, to see Jesus. And when we look to the faces of those who don't know Jesus Oh, Lord Jesus, may we see Jesus in their face as well. May that be, yeah. This is our encouragement as a church. May the Lord bless us in that. All right, with that being said, let's come to the Lord and let's come to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray, give us your grace and give us your spirit and give us just an increasing burden as a new church, much like this church here, to open, as the Apostle Paul says, open wide our hearts to those who not only need the gospel in word, but also a gospel in deed. Father, you've given us so much, and you've blessed us so much. Help us to be willing to share that blessing with others, and in so doing, remember the words of Jesus, that to the extent you did it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. We pray. 
In your name, Lord Jesus, amen.